Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the sixth episode of the first season of House of the Dragon, The Princess and the Queen. Sorry about the late production on this episode. We were away for the weekend and just been kind of chaotic recently, but we will plan to have another episode later this week, hopefully to be discussing The Patient, obviously, which we've been covering week to week, and hopefully we have a good episode. It's already available right now, have not yet seen it, so it can't speak to whether it continues to be good. Last week, it was pretty strong, actually. And also, I think we will probably be discussing the new Dahmer docudrama on Netflix. And Celia, we had discussed, you texted me earlier in the week, you had started watching this also, which is part of the reason I gave it a shot. I was reluctant to jump into this, but I did end up watching the whole entire thing. <laughs> me too. And by the way, so we should discuss it at some point in the future, but I did want to let you know that the ratings have come in just for the first three days that it was available four days last week. And you were asking me, who's this show even for? As if this would have like a niche audience, just so you know, based on its current trajectory, it will be the third most popular thing ever on Netflix behind only the current season of Stranger Things and Squid Game. So it would be bigger than Bridgerton, bigger than all, like 50% bigger than the last season, most recent season of uh, The Umbrella Academy or, or Ozark. Or, for example, Cobra Kai, like twice as big as Cobra Kai. So a phenomenal success for a show that I have many things to say about. Some of them are positive. Many of them are negative. But, you know, I would binge the whole thing. So it's extremely bingeable, unfortunately, for whatever that says about our culture or what it says about me personally. But uh, well, we can speak about that later. Stay tuned. Later in the week, I will be having a conversation with Sona, who's seen a couple of episodes. And Celia, I think we should talk about it as well. And maybe we'll just put that all together in one episode later this week. I have so much to say. Yes, so do I. About that series, which I also binged. And of course, subscribe so you know when those episodes become available. Drop us an email with your feedback to needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. And I think that's all of our housekeeping. This rumor only spun by the princess's rivals. People have eyes, boy. Yet his grace the king, it seems, will not accept what is icy. This flimsy shield alone stands between you and the headsman. The willful blindness of a father towards his child. I wish my father affected a similar blindness. Have I not these many years? And yet today, you publicly assaulted a knight of the king's heart in the, in the defense of your... You have your honor. And I have mine. All right. So this episode, The Princess and the Queen, directed by Miguel Sapochnik, who is one of the producers of this House of the Dragon show, and also one of the most important directors of the original Game of Thrones show, directed some of those really large scale classic episodes from that series. This show, unlike some of his other ones, is not really an action spectacle type of episode. But he himself, in this featurette that's included in the show, talks about how this is basically another pilot for the show, like kind of a reboot for the show, which I agree with. And it is interesting also, if you saw that featurette, to see that this is going to now be more of a slow cadence to the show. Kind of this will become like a week to week, maybe months will pass, but not these giant jumps in time, which is good to hear. But you know, I've said a lot of positive things about this show, but I feel like they may have jumped a little too far ahead is my opinion. But let's break down the episode and then you can tell me and on these, some of these different plot points, Celia, what you think, uh, if maybe they moved a little too fast <laughs> in some of these ways. They did. So we open with now Emma Darcy. Interestingly, this actress, Emma Darcy, now playing Renera, And of course, her mother, the character who died in early in this series, the character's name was Emma. 
So it's kind of a strange irony there. And for a second, I thought we were watching a flashback. She so much looks like that other actress that I actually thought we might be seeing a flashback to that earlier difficult pregnancy. And I mean, the sound design here is very similar to maybe, like I'd say, the final version of Brundlefly in, in the, the David Cronenberg movie, The Fly. And it's like a very, very disgusting sound design for this. What a great scene, though. It goes <laughs> very on difficult. forever. Forever, yes. That scene follows them through the entire birthing all the way, all the way to through. the door yes. of the queen. Yeah, so let's break that down. Uh, exactly that. We hear this extremely, we hear it, very painful, d- disturbing birth. And uh, once again, maybe the overriding theme of this entire show <laughs> for this entire season is childbirth sucks. <laughs> and uh, once again, we see it twice in this episode alone. But she gives birth to another child, another boy. Apparently, this is one of many boys that she's given birth to, a third now son in this 10-year window that we've jumped ahead. And like you mentioned, we now see that she immediately must present the child to the queen. And she is so, you know, Renera being so hard-headed as she tends to be here on the show. She's like, not only will I let my nursemaid go deliver the baby for the queen's perusal, she's going to do it herself. And she literally has just passed the afterbirth. <laughs> it's pretty grisly. The sequence. I thought she might be doing it because she's protecting the newborn. wondering why she even in this very moment has to present it to the queen, her third son. That's interesting that you said that because in the moment I thought, oh my God, does she think her her son might be in danger? Then of course, when you show up at the uh, king's quarters, the king is like a doting grandfather and the queen is making every presentation of being civil. So now it really reverses itself. It makes you feel like this is just Renera making a point of saying enough is enough in a way. Uh, so she's kind of being obstinate about it, especially when you realize, of course, that what Olivia Cook now, speaking of new casting, playing Alicent, is trying to prove a point here, right? Which is, of course, she, clearly that she sees right away that dark hair and she knows that this is not Laner's child. She, <laughs> yes. She even says, keep trying. <laughs> Do keep trying, Selena. Sooner or later, you may get what it looks like you. You don't think to consult me before you name my child? He's our child, is he not? Any one of us is bleeding. I deserve some say in the affairs of my own family. You don't seem so interested in our affairs, really. Everyone knows what's going on. Exactly. So they can't accuse her of it for fear of death, but Mm -hmm. um, they know who the father of these children are. I believe it's the same father for all of them. Harwin. Yes, I believe it's Harwin. Uh, Yeah. I don't think she's just partying her life away because she's not going to get anything from her husband down there. So she's just having kids, which would be also fine. I mean, that's kind of a fun thing to do. It seems like she has somehow fathered all these children with one man that she must have feelings for. Yes, I think so. So a few interesting points to that. One is, speaking of jumping a little bit too far ahead, I don't think that they could have anticipated this, but the reaction on the internet last week when Harwin rescued her at the end of the wedding gone wrong, 
everybody on the internet basically had had palpitations being like, oh my God, Harwin and Rhaenyra, Harwin and Rhaenyra, which of course they get, they get exactly what they wanted. But we just fast forwarded through the entire relationship and uh, not to jump too far to the end, but that's the end of the relationship too. Uh, yeah, I think there should have been More these actresses just dressed younger. Yeah. So there could be a, I don't know, five-year gap yeah. somewhere in the middle somewhere in of the middle. these two and then continue with the same actresses. Who cares? That'd be great. And speaking of these uncomfortable ellipses that we've seen, there's a bunch of them here that I'm going to call out specifically. One is the Harwin relationship, which should have been very interesting, especially once again, they couldn't have possibly anticipated the reaction that was going to be. But obviously, everybody was so excited last week, according to the internet reaction, to see her and Harwin together. And they do not get to see that. <laughs> you get to see the no. end. You get to see the end result, but you don't get to see the actual thing, right? And, and I think uh, he should have a bigger part. He's the father of all the heirs. Why can't exactly. he have a bigger part? Yep. And that other guy really has turned into a big, you know what, man. Yeah, he, I didn't see that coming. The second giant ellipsis here that they kind of skipped too far ahead, I think, is exactly is Kristen Cole, who orchestrates in a way this whole embarrassment of Harwin. This is what you teach, Cole. Cruelty to the weaker opponent. Your interest in the Princeling's training is quite unusual, Commander. Most men would only have that kind of devotion toward a cousin. Or a brother. Or a son. Sorry, it's a good! Sorry, it's a good! Lord as much. Basically calling him out as the father of the kids in public, which of course lets Harwin attack him. And then this is so disgraceful that it gets him kicked out of King's Landing. However, Kristen Cole, who murdered someone during the wedding, is still there because now he's part of the Queen's Guard, but still seems a little convenient that he wasn't disgraced by this whole thing. And now that he's been very close with the Queen, which once again, this is something they've kind of just elided past. But I'd love to have seen that in between because wouldn't people have many questions <laughs> about him still hanging around the castle after this disgraceful thing he did in public? So I do find it... Um, interesting that we just skipped all that we just skipped it i i definitely agree with you and then damon is all of a sudden extremely mm -hmm. virile mm -hmm. and he has many offspring at this point yes the third we thing. should have seen yes. that relationship too mm -hmm. exactly so now we have a third thing that they think they have skipped way too far ahead we suddenly see that damon is no longer sterile or, or not sterile but i guess impotent He's had now three children or, you know, impregnated his wife three times. They seem to have a loving relationship. I would love to have seen him in this mode. Like, what was it about her? Maybe it's just his love for like the old Valerian myths and him thinking about he's creating some new Valerian kingdom. But if that's the case, once again, a fascinating thing. He has basically been a free rider for 10 years. He is not attached to any land. He basically goes in as a mercenary to like burn people's enemies and sticks around as long as he feels like it. And then like a biker gang or something, they jump on their dragons and head over to the next town. You are considering Prince Reggio's offer. Have a good life here. We're free to do as we please. Welcomed and fettered. And eternally guessed. Precisely. We are without responsibility. The political scheming, the endless shifting of loyalties in succession is none of ours. They are using us. It's refreshing, isn't it? A simple transaction. We have dragons, they have gold. We are more than this, Damon. 
We are not minstrels or mummers who play at the pleasure of an alien prince. We are the blood of old Valeria. We don't belong here. Valeria is gone. We don't belong anywhere. I want my child to be born where I was born, on Driftmark, in my Lord Father's castle. I want my daughters to be raised in their homeland with their family, according to their birthright. At my end, I want to die a dragon rider's death, not that of some fat country lord. Which would be fun to watch, but we don't get to see it because we have jumped ahead 10 years. Yeah, and I thought that the last scene was really good of the last episode where I thought the king was dead. You know, yes. had I not seen oh, the, king's still alive. the scenes. Missing an arm, <laughs> Missing an arm but still yeah, alive. it's crazy. Like that, not that I want to watch that kind of suffering, but in between these other stories that we should have seen, and I would have loved that, they could have thrown in how not well it's going for him and his relationship with his wife, who's very important. I would like to see how her and Rhaenyra got to this point in time. Yeah, it's a great scene there in the middle of the show where we see the king completely annoyed. He's just like, I just want to get out of this room. He is done with being king. He just wants to go back to his room and eat and drink and be and just wait to die, basically. He doesn't want to have anything to do with anything else. And they're having their small council meeting, yet another small council meeting. Have your drinks, everybody out there, if you drink when you see a small council meeting. You see that openly the queen and the princess, the title of the episode, are at each other's throats openly in front of everybody else. Where, I wonder, is our Prince Damon? I suppose I should call him king, as he styled himself when he won a battle there once. It was a decade ago, and he has since left the region undefended. We have left it undefended. There should have been fortifications built. Watchtowers, a fleet of ships, a garrison of soldiers sent to hold our ground. We cannot afford it. I do, by the way, like how Alison so cleverly, you see her becoming very bitter and mean-spirited in the way she uses the fact that Renera starts to leak milk during the meeting to like almost humiliate her into sitting down. It's really biting. That whole sequence is very rough. I could have used another two episodes to at least really get the feel of those relationships. Two episodes would have been good. It would have still been a little rushed, but you I have a feeling there's a lot of story to come in the back half. So that might be why they decided to split it here. But I do feel like this is just like too far. They just jumped too far ahead. There's like we just touched on just those three points. How did Sir uh, Kristen Cole? What was the reaction after the fact? Like, see, like you said, seeing him a few years later where he's still kind of trying to slowly work his way into the graces of the court instead of now you know, having this prominent position within the kingdom and seeing, of course, seeing the romance between Renera and Harwin. And of course, seeing what was up with Damon. Like once again, we see that. And it's a really memorable scene, by the way, one of the most tragic deaths probably in the history of all of Game of Thrones where his wife cannot give birth to this breached baby and they're once again thinking like, well, maybe we'll do Caesarian, but we don't think she's going to survive. And she does not want to die like Emma died. She had specifically said to him that she wanted to have a dragon rider's death. And she goes, and it's like so tragic in a way to see the dragon like hesitantly not burning her and the understanding that she wants him to, to burn her. And then she just says, Dracarys, and he burns her alive and while Damon watches. So it's a horrendous, horrendous ending for poor Lena and her daughters now with Damon who we know from her conversation and from theirs, he tries to educate them. He tries to be a dad, but this is not comfortable for him, right? Once again, something we haven't seen 
just heard people talk about it, I would have preferred to see and not hear about it, right? I mean, maybe it will redeem itself in the way that we think it needs to be redeemed. Because that all being said, it was still a fantastic episode. Oh, that's the thing that I have to agree with. I think it's very well made. It's beautifully constructed. I mean, some of its images are really remarkable. The acting's exceptional across the board. I just feel like they skipped a few steps here. But uh, but yeah, nothing on the screen is bad. And as a matter of fact, uh, based on that featurette, Sapochnik talking about how this is almost like a reboot to the season. This is almost like a new pilot for the show. This will be the show as if those first five episodes were setting the stage for what's now going to happen. The battle between the princess and the queen, the battle amongst their children for who will be the next king. So this is what they're setting the stage as if this is like now the beginning of what we're going to see for the next two years, three years of the show. That's all great. I just feel like we could have just had another one or two episodes <laughs> of setup. I would have been totally fine with that. And as a matter of fact, would have been happier with that if that's what we got. Yeah. One more thing to talk about. Of course, we absolutely cannot skip this part, which is Laris. Laris is still floating around. I had said maybe he is a Tyrion. He's not Tyrion. He's Littlefinger. And, <laughs> and here he is, you know, talking to the queen, getting in her ear once again. Once again, we have not seen, but I assume this has been going on for the past 10 years based on this jump in time. And she says, boy, she just wishes her dad was back. And man, he's like the creepiest genie of all times making this come true for her. And like, he's like, I know what I'll do. I'll get some crazy people out of the prison, cut off their tongues so they can't talk about anything and then send them off <laughs> to kill my brother and my dad. <laughs> that is so gross. I know. I saw that. I'm, oh, I'm like, this is like a really mean spirited kind of serial killer type guy who just <laughs> yes, has. This is brutal. Yeah. Who's been excused. All his actions are excused, but he's like a psychopath. And that is not Tyrion. That was my exact thought, actually. I'm like, no, Tyrion was like honorable yeah. and intelligent and thoughtful. This guy's just psycho. Yes. I mean, he has a whole spiel where he talks about how love is weakness. <laughs> and the best thing you could do is just to basically remove it from your life and then you won't have any disappointments. So maybe he speaks to that as someone who probably was never really recognized by his strong brother, never was recognized by his father, probably never had like love interests and stuff because of him being lame and not being a good knight or whatever he could possibly be as a nobleman. So, I mean, all of that animosity is now festered into this because this is, you think about how potentially the queen is indebted to him now, you know, if anybody finds out what was done on her behalf, even though she really wanted it to happen, obviously, but it's just like one more thing that you know she has to worry about and but she does get in the end she's getting what she wants right which is like you know a weakened husband he's going to need a hand she's going to suggest otto and of course she pretty much calls the shots at this point because viserys is so weak so i'm pretty sure otto it will be back they'll basically be running the show and smartly very smartly despite saying she was not going to do that renera decides you know what it is time for me to leave king's landing <laughs> Before the knives are out for me, because they certainly are. She may have thought, like, you know, in the last episode, how Otto warned Alicent that someday knives will be out for you. But Alicent now is completely in the driver's seat. I was thinking, is the queen lucky to have these henchmen people around her? Or is she unlucky? Because look who her advisors are, the people that she's right. listening to. There's like the mad dog who's jealous and frustrated and just 
not a nice person. I thought he was better than that. And now I'm like, oh, he's so bitter. And then she's got this psychopath. But then who does Renera have? Her husband? And her husband's weak. It's like having no one. I don't know if we've seen how what what kind of assistance he'll be to her. And I think, well, I was about to say Ann Damon might be someone who'll align himself with her. I, she he's always a wild card, right? So I think that he still could be potentially, if anything, another you know, threat to her reign as well, right? So it all remains to be seen, I guess. And I guess that's I feel the like question. he's a threat. Yeah. I mean, especially now he's gonna be in a in a bad spot. Yeah. He could be heading back to Driftmark with his daughters. I did not see, did I see the scenes from next week? I don't think so. So do we see we do see his her family arrive back at Dragonstone, but that was this episode. And we see Damon with his daughters mourning the mom's death. I assume he'll probably be heading back to Driftmark with them. You know I mean, what I find funny about all the offspring? What's that? They're so clearly one person's or another's. You know what I mean? There's right. no complication. Like <laughs> right. all Renera's boys have exactly the same color, right. like this moppy, dark brown hair. And all of the queen's sons have this ice white hair. Because yeah. at first, when there are some crazy kids in this episode. <laughs> yes, like, we forgot to talk I about mean, that. I mean, wow. What barats. They are <laughs> yes. horrible. Yes. And who has the horrible kids? And who's got the kid that's being bullied? But then I realized that everyone's hair will exactly tell you who their parentage is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Confuse things exactly. So I'm like, oh, I know whose kids are whose. So it looks like a game board, <laughs> doesn't <laughs> yes. it? Yeah. When you're picking oh. your characters for your teams. Oh, and I think that's so, so intentional, right? Because I would not be surprised at all if over the course of this season and next that these younger cast members become the focus of the show. And you need to be able to like basically have them in a room and know how they're aligned, right? And, and that just makes it much easier. Oh, it's the hair. Even <laughs> right. the daughters look exactly the same. And there's no need for that, but they look exactly the same. All right. So I completely forgot. Of course, there's just so many things in this episode. <laughs> I completely forgot to talk about the kids. And man, how could I have skipped that? Because that's really the point of this whole entire show. It's about <laughs> children and, and, and parents, right? including the ones that murder you at the end of the episode, burn you to death, but it just, <laughs> but uh, across the board, right? That's like the theme of this show and really interesting, all of these different aspects. So you have, like you mentioned, the dark haired sons of Renera, which nonetheless, even though being only half Targaryen, they all have dragons. Meanwhile, the youngest son, the oldest son of Viserys does have a dragon, but the youngest son, like his dad, maybe not to be a dragon rider, but he seems I think I see bad things in the future for this kid. This kid is just cast as one of those creepy kids and bad things are going to happen to this kid or he's going to be a very bad king someday, perhaps. Meanwhile, let's not forget about the older, <laughs> Viserys' older son, who decides to masturbate onto the commoners and is interrupted <laughs> by his mother. <laughs> Who's not even surprised he's doing this. She's, she's, just like, she's like annoyed at him. Yeah. yeah, she looks annoyed when she walks in. She's like, oh. She's expecting it when she walks in the door. <laughs> yeah, she seemed like just, why do I have to talk to this idiot that like clearly does not have enough brain cells? But I, you know, birthed him and now, so she is trying to tell him how things really are. Right, he is the threat. And he's, think about his answer. He's just saying like, well, what if I don't want to be king? And she's like, you're the threat. The fact you exist is a threat, period. Which of course, echoing exactly what Otto said to her last week. 
Yeah, these kids, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, they're all bullying that younger brother, which makes me worry. Although he's going down to like the guts of the castle to confront the largest of the dragons. And I do wonder, you know, when we've seen this in the past with Game of Thrones, for example, that that might be that maybe he is, maybe he does have a dragon. Maybe it's just not, he hasn't found the right dragon yet. Lanera says to her daughter that her egg may never hatch, but that she and Damon both had to basically win over their dragon. So it wasn't their dragon. They are both the people who uh, had to win over their dragon from somebody else, right? Maybe Aegon will have a dragon someday, just not the one that is birthed to him. Um, and that all remains to be seen. But like I said, he I get bad vibes for that kid. He just seems like uh, trouble. What else do we have there? Oh, of course, we do have Damon's two daughters who feel alienated from him. He's trying to. I mean, I really do feel like he is trying to connect with them. You see the scene where he's trying to educate them on proper Valerian in uh, the library. But, you know, he openly says that, you know, he struggles with it. But he's going to have to be single dad now. So that's pretty rough. It Open was a one beautiful left. scene. Oh, tell me. It was. Yeah, it was a beautiful scene. And uh, the last thing I was going to mention is I forgot to bring up one more thing is, of course, very importantly, I think, the scene between Alicent and her daughter. It, to my eyes, the daughter looks so much like a young Renera, so much like her. And I think that that's part of the coldness Alicent has towards her is that she probably, maybe in her demeanor, maybe in her appearance, reminds her of that young Renera. And of course, now she... <laughs> despises Rhaenyra. So now she has to try not to despise her daughter as a, you know, by proxy. Yes, you are correct. You know what? I forgot about that scene. Yeah. Rhaenyra, when she was younger, she was all about like, I want to fly. I want to do this. And she's asking all these questions about the different animals. Why do they, some fly, some don't. And like Alison just has been like, she's trying to be polite to her, but be like, geez, I just want to get out of this room. <laughs> yeah. You may know what is the right thing to be done, but love stays the hand love is a downfall best to make your way through life unencumbered if you ask me You've heard the stories of Harren Hall, Your Grace. It's built in hubris by Harren the Black as a monument to his own greatness. Blood mixed into the mortar. It is said to be a cursed place. That it passes judgment on all who pass beneath its gates. You... You pass judgment. The Queen makes a wish. What servant of the realm would not strive to fulfill it? I assume you will write to your father now? Paris, I did not wish for this. I feel certain you will reward me. When the time is right. Very interesting. Lots of stuff being set up here. I'm very intrigued for where the show goes. Simultaneously, as solid as this episode is, I agree. I think it's very well made from beginning to end. Excellently directed. Great performances. And I just feel like, did I miss <laughs> did I miss three episodes of the show? Like, what happened in between, right? 
Well, how many episodes are there in this show? There's 10. So there's four more episodes. We just passed the halfway mark. So there's plenty more to come. And when's the next season? Oh, who knows? A year from now, I would assume. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. These shows usually like later on when the cast get famous and they have lots of other work responsibilities, sometimes they have to take like two years off in between. But I think like early on, HBO gave them a green light for two seasons. And I'm pretty sure like, especially based on the success of the show so far, they're probably going to go straight into production for season two. As soon as season one wraps up, probably they're probably going to write right back into production. And then probably sometime next summer, I would assume we'll see the uh, second season. I'm excited. And I love the Allison's actress. Oh, she yeah. was in Bates Motel. Yes. She was also Great in a movie called series. Thoroughbreds that we, it is available on HBO Max with her and Anya Taylor-Joy. It's kind of like a modern Heathers. And uh, Sona and I reviewed that earlier this month on the podcast, and it's excellent. You guys should check that out for sure. Very good. She was also in a British spy show that I recommended earlier this year called Slow Horses, which is on Apple Plus and also has been picked up for a second season. So she will be busy making that show as well. So yeah, that's the show. I do have a recommendation for you, I think, that you would like. What is it? So George Miller, the guy who directed the Mad Max movies and made uh, the most recent Mad Max Fury Road film, which of course won him all those Oscars and won all that praise for him, made a movie that almost nobody saw recently. And it was called 3,000 Years of Longing. And it stars Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. And it's about this professor who goes to the Middle East for a conference and basically finds a genie's bottle and uh, the genie comes to life and it's Idris Elba as the genie. And they're inside of a hotel room and they're negotiating what her three wishes are going to be. And she basically is a prof- professor of storytelling. I forget what they, what they how they describe it, but she basically knows the whole, all the tropes of genie movies and stories. So she knows how they all go wrong when you wish for them. So she basically doesn't want to make her wishes, but he must have make her wishes. Like it's basically his only function in life. So he tells her all these stories, flashback stories to all the previous people he's been with and the wishes that they've made. And they're basically in this hotel room together, but the flashbacks are beautifully, intricately designed, like really beautifully done. Ooh, I love the thought of this. Yes. Where can I I see that? It's available for rent right now on, on at home. It, it was in theaters, but ended recently. Anyway, the performances are great. The visuals are stunning. I would say that it reminds me of the movie The Fall, which I know you like a lot, with Lee Pace. Also reminds me of The Adventures of Baron Munchausen with like these stories that are being told by somebody who's maybe an unreliable narrator. So beautifully designed like those films. But I would say that I was surprised. I kind of thought I knew where the story was going to go. And it really moved me very deeply by the end of it. So I thought it was even better than those films. And I'm surprised nobody saw this movie. I don't think many people heard about it, even though it has a very prestigious pedigree. But uh, I loved it. And uh, I recommend people track it down. It's probably, you know, it's it might be an acquired taste, but I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And for you specifically, I think you will love it. I'm definitely going to watch it. You know what I've been watching that was pretty good? Modern Love on um, HBO. Because it's all a bunch of little movies about love and longing. And none of them are connected. Oh, like an anthology. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And some of the anthologies are really moving, really, really like heartfelt. And some of them are really joyous. And everyone's famous. There's they're all like A-list actors as mm-hmm. the main characters or B-listers, whatever. You would recognize them. And one of the fun things I thought, I would never look ahead 
to what's coming up next. What could it be? I don't even look at the little box at the bottom. And I never knew who was going to be the cast. Like it was a play again. So everyone is very recognizable. Mostly everyone. Mostly. It's very well acted. You don't have to watch anything beforehand. Although this is a tiny bit of a spoiler. There is one episode that in a, what do they call that? A montage so there is a montage that kind of ties everyone the in the season together, together mm-hmm. but it's not long. It's pretty short. It just, you almost, it's almost like an afterthought. So I like that it's not part of the last scene, really. It is like an afterthought. It gives you a little bit of a closure mm-hmm. and that's very nice and uplifting. I would watch this if I were you, because you never know what the next style is going to be, who's going to be performing in it. What are their characters? What is it about? I like it. I love anthologies, even when some of the episodes are weak. I like them because, you know, it's you've got different flavors over and over again. And by the way, some of the things I like about 3000 Years of Longing, because, of course, you have multiple stories inside one movie. Uh, so, yeah, that's actually an interesting uh, coupling up of recommendations. I do want to mention, though, for anybody who's hearing this, that it's on Amazon Prime, though, Celia. So but yes, it looks like Modern Love on Amazon Prime. I will definitely check that out. Uh, and maybe you can recommend a few episodes for me offline or, you know, maybe I'll just watch them in order and we can talk about it in the future. You could watch them in order because I feel like some of the ones that I thought were a bit of a weaker link, it's just because they're so specified yeah. that if it's not your thing, you will appreciate it, but not feel deeply, but right. you could watch a, quite a few of these were my thing. So I felt very deeply in quite a few of these episodes, not all of them very personal this show if you watch it you'll understand what i mean mm-hmm. there may be episodes that i thought were like okay you know pretty good yeah. that you may feel really strongly about right so i would just watch them all in order and start with season one yeah i'll definitely give it a try i like i said big fan of anthologies because i like just having different versions of playing on a motif i will definitely check it out All right. Thanks for the conversation. And we look forward to next week. And uh, we will probably touch base later this week and do our little, uh, a little, do it like a little cute little Dahmer conversation. I mean, we'll talk about the the Jeffrey Dahmer. uh, Oh, Dahmer. I'm so mixed emotions on that series. Yes. So mixed. Yes. That's why I want to talk to you about it. Uh, Anyway, we we, we can have that as a separate conversation because we're going to open up a whole can of worms. But uh, I feel the same way. I Cannot say it's undeniably watchable. I binged the whole thing pretty much within like two or three days. As I'm watching it, even within a certain a single episode, I'm like, wow, that was really good. Wow, that was really terrible. It's like it's uneven from moment to moment. But it, uh, but hey, I, I watched all the way through, so they know what they're doing and it went one way or the other. But anyway, we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.